It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have an historic day happening, a changing of the presence, and it's already taking place. We're in the middle of it. Marco Rubio will be with us shortly. Gerard Baker at the bottom of the hour, editor of the Wall Street Journal, uh, as we move forth, uh, and we'll have a big hour. Take some calls, too. Uh, atypical, first time in over 150 years we had a president leave and not attend the handover ceremony. In fact, 152 years. I wish he didn't. I wish he stuck around. Uh, but uh, that's not going to happen. President Trump came in on, in an orthodox way, and he left the same way. So before we get to Marco Rubio, here are the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If Washington doesn't provide the New York State... With our fair share of funding, we're going to pursue litigation because I cannot in good faith represent the people of this state and know that they are being harmed. Unbelievable. Pay me or I'll sue. That's what Governor Cuomo is actually saying to Joe Biden. Another idiotic statement from the Emmy Award winner that we're inflicted with in New York. Number two. Biden will sign executive orders related to climate change and immigration. And in the first 100 days, plans to push Congress to shorten the pathway to citizenship for 11 million illegal immigrants to eight years from 13. Biden's agenda, his immigration plan is about ideology, not practicality. We'll talk to Marco Rubio about that. Number one. Four years ago, I came to Washington as the only true outsider ever to win the presidency. I had not spent my career as a politician, but as a builder looking at open skylines and imagining infinite possibilities. America had given me so much, and I wanted to give something back. Uh, That is a little of Donald Trump. He said goodbye at Andrews Air Force Base. He said goodbye and took a walk and had some brief comments as he left the White House for the final time and did not go uh, and did not stick around for the ceremony that will be happening in a couple of hours. Um, So he says goodbye. Let's look at the last four years as Joe Biden says hello, and let's look at his next four years. With me right now is Senator Marco Rubio. Senator Rubio, like everything with the uh, – thank you so much for joining us. Like everything in the Trump era, it is uh, unorthodox. president leaves early. Your thoughts? Look, I think it's probably for the best. Um, you know, clearly I don't think the Biden folks are offended by it. They probably prefer it that way. And um, it's just kind of what it is, you know. And um, I think that at noon today we'll have a 46th 40, 40, uh, president uh, of the United States. And um, and the Republican doors and continues. We have a lot of work to do. These are, these are not normal times that we live in. We have a lot of challenges. Can I just say, you know, this idea that, um, you know, Donald Trump created all these problems. Donald Trump was was elected because of some of the challenges we face in our country. He didn't create them. He he was elected because of them. And those challenges did not leave with him today. They are not going to magically solve themselves because we have a new president. They're 
there's still real anxiety in this country and, and, and real fear and concern, and that those things need to be addressed for us to be able to move forward as a country. Absolutely. From uh, China to our relationship with our allies, to what's happening over in the Middle East, to our economic concerns due to the pandemic, uh, and most of all, the people that started it. As a new documentary out, more evidence reveals that China really this came out of the Wuhan lab. What were they doing? They were not even telling us there was asymptomatic spread. Had we known that, we wouldn't have had 400,000 dead. It's hard for me to understand why people are not more outraged by that that thought. Well, first of all, let me just say we probably will never know exactly how this happened. I think there's, again, I'm not a a, a biological expert, but from what I've seen from all the literature that is out there, it's pretty clear that it wasn't something that was engineered. But what we don't know is whether this was something they were experimenting on in a lab and someone got infected because they had an accident and that then crossed over, or was it something that that crossed over out, you know, in in the normal course of life. Uh, And and, and we probably will never know that because the Chinese are not going to want us to to know that Um, and uh, because it's embarrassing for them and that's what totalitarian governments do it's just like Chernobyl they're always going to try to cover up any mistakes that were made and that's the culture they've been but We've seen the impact. I mean, it has literally cost the world, just in this country alone, uh, you know, 400,000 Americans have lost their lives. That number will continue to go up, unfortunately. Trillions of dollars in spending before all is said and done. And around the world, it's devastated countries. I mean, it's upended all of our lives. Uh, It's extraordinary. And uh, I think when the full story of this is known, uh, China's reputation will be damaged, and rightfully so, forever. Uh, Senator Rubio, let's talk about something you put a lot of time into, and that's immigration reform. And that's something that Joe Biden is going to push for right away. He wants to preserve and fortify protections for DREAMers. He wants to reverse the Muslim ban uh, uh, right away when it comes to immigration. Uh, he actually wants to get a pathway for citizenship for 11 million, it's more like 30, uh, here illegally over the course of eight years. Uh, he wants to protect the, uh, the DREAMers. And uh, after three years, all green card holders who pass additional background checks and demonstrate knowledge of English and U.S. civics can apply to become citizens. That has to do with the DREAMers. Uh, and he's going to stop building the wall immediately. What are your thoughts as we watch this video of about 10,000 Hondurans making their way to our border? Well, let me just say this, right, uh, as, a, as an analogy, okay? If, God forbid, somebody has a ter- terrible accident and they suffered a head injury and, uh, and a broken hand, and you take them to the trauma center, they're going to deal with a head injury first. They're going to deal with a hand, but they're going to deal with a head injury first. Right now, we have some very serious problems. We have this pandemic we just talked about. We have the fact that the core fundamental identity of this country, a country where anyone, whether you have a PhD or you, you dropped out of high school, anyone can find a good job, get married, own a home in a safe neighborhood, raise a family, and retire with dignity. That's the American dream, and millions of people feel like it is out of reach for them and will never be in reach for them. We've got to deal with those things first, not to mention, as you said, China and everything else. I'm not saying immigration is not important. It is, but I don't think it's as important as those other things. And I would say one more thing about immigration, and you mentioned the people that are coming. You could see that from a mile away. When you send out a message that people are able to come here and stay, even if they enter illegally, you're going to encourage more people to come. But here's the bottom line. I like most Americans, I believe we need to have immigrant immigration good for this country. But it has to be via a system of laws. Like every country in the world, we have to have laws and rules. Those rules 
laws have to be followed and those laws have to be enforced. That's what all the American believes in. And they want to say that we're going to enforce those laws first and have in place the ability to do it uh, before we move on to dealing with the people who are in this country unlawfully and, and, and on the first day out of the box granting them a blanket amnesty. Could, could he do this through an executive order? No. I mean, so can he extend DACA and he can do other things like deferred, uh, you know, he can defer, he can just decide not to enforce the law, uh, which is a de facto amnesty. You can just basically say, we're going to, we're not going to deport anybody. And I think, in fact, they have said that they will stop all deportations. Uh, for, but, but, um, but what people need to understand is that when you do that, look, I don't think pleasure in seeing so I know these people okay this is not something I read about in a book I know people who come from Central America dangerous country they're here to work they send money back to their families trust me I know these people, Great I know people. Them it breaks my heart to know their stories but I also understand that if you announce that you're not going to enforce the law what you are basically doing is not just being nice to the people that are here you are inviting more people to come because they know once they get in they're going to be able to stay for a long time and they'll figure it out later and and frankly it's a dangerous journey to begin with it, we just it's not in our national interest to do that we have to have we also have to take into consideration what that means for our country no country can be a place where people just show up so so senator i, I read yesterday your remarks it said this is a non-starter for you um, uh, it also includes this plan, $4 billion for a four-year plan to address the underlying causes of migration to America. So we're writing a billion-dollar check to El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. So $4 billion overall uh, on top of the money we're already giving them. Is, yeah. is that going to help? Look, I don't know that what the $4 billion is destined towards. I, I do think that one of the best things we, we could help do, obviously they have to do it, but to the extent we can help them, you know, it helps us, and that is what what can we do to help those countries address the reason why people are leaving? You know, and, and one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, okay, if a factory that makes certain things is now in China or in Vietnam, and it's never going to be in America because, for you know, economic reasons or what have you, it probably is good for it to be in El Salvador or Honduras. Yep. I mean, that factory has to be somewhere else. Let it be someplace in our hemisphere. It's closer to our market, but it also provides jobs for people. But obviously, look, it's up to those countries to step up to the plate, and we should be willing to help them because I do think that that will help address some of this. We don't have a Costa Rican illegal immigration problem. Frankly, we don't have a Mexican illegal immigration problem right now the, the way we once did. Uh, folks are primarily coming from Central America and then, you know, from other places like Cuba and so forth. They cross the they, they they leave to a third country, and then they make that journey up. But there are plenty of countries in the Western Hemisphere that are not sources of illegal immigration because people don't feel compelled to have to leave those countries. But but the countries that have political problems like Venezuela and Nicaragua and countries that have public safety and economic problems like El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, those are the source countries for illegal immigration. And, and you know, I think uh, if we can do something to help them stabilize it, that would be great. But, but it's, we, we've been trying, you know, and we, but we can't just throw money at it and expect it to happen. And there's got to be a real commitment on the other side as well. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas will be the new DHS secretary. He's the nominee if he gets confirmed. Here's what he said yesterday about this caravan. Cut 10. This is not the first caravan uh, that has uh, uh, apparently approached the border over the last four years or it's not. over the last 12 years. There is a commitment uh, to follow our asylum laws, and that means to provide humanitarian relief. What does that mean? Well, I think what he's saying, when you talk about following our, our asylum laws, what he's basically saying is people figured it out, okay? And, and they figured out that if you come into the U.S. and you claim asylum, 
that you now get a date in court, which is not tomorrow. It is could be two and a half, three years from now. And in the interim, you're released into the community pending that hearing. A large percentage of the people, so you come in illegally, you claim asylum, you immediately trigger a legal process, and then they release you into the population. And some, many of these people never show up for the court hearing. They vanish into the country. So people recognize as long as they say the right words, the magic words, when they cross into the border, they're going to be processed and released pending a hearing that they may or may not show up for. And so when he talks about that, that it sounds you know really legalistic and normal, but in fact, if what he's saying is we're going to go back to that policy – then you can assume we're going to see a lot of people coming because people just have to say the magic words and they immediately trigger due process. And as a result, um, you know, they're going to get to stay here for a long time for a court hearing they may never show up to. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio with us. Uh, Senator, this is a quote from Mitch McConnell yesterday, the majority, the minority leader now. The mob was fed lives. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people, and they tried to use this fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. He will not commit to voting uh, against impeaching a now-departed president. I could not be more disappointed. I understand he's angry, but uh, but he usually is such a, uh, a strategist. He has to look around. He's used great looking around the corner and see what's next. Why does he think it's great to draw battle lines with uh, Trump and Trump supporters? Well, I don't know. Obviously, I mean, you'll have to ask him, and 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 do the, I, you know, respect everyone's right to have their own decisions. My view of it is comes from a different perspective. It's not even political. It's about the national interest. So we have this raging fire already, and I just don't think that when you have a fire that's already you know pretty intense, the last thing you do is come in and pour more fuel on it. I also think that given all the challenges we have, I just talked about it in the context of immigration reform. Okay, we have 400,000 people dead and. Thousands of businesses wiped out by coronavirus. We have the threat of China, the growing threat of Iran. We, North Korea has nuclear weapons. Russia continues to be an adversary. We were just victimized with the biggest hack, most dangerous hack in American history. Our economy needs to be reinvigorated after going through this pandemic. All these challenges. But the first thing we're going to do is tie up the Senate for a week or two on a trial to remove a president that's already out of office. I just don't understand how that's a wise thing to do, on top of the fact that all it's going to do is gin up uh, some of these divisions at a time where we really need to put some of the stuff aside and, and really work on something. This is not a game. I mean, this is our, the greatest country. We, we inherited the greatest country in the history of the world, and it seems like we're trying to ruin it on purpose. Senator and and Kip, I don't get it. Uh, I don't get it either. I understand. Uh, but the thing is, you are a, a peer of Mitch McConnell. Will you talk to him? I mean, will you try to get his thinking? Because, like I said, he is not somebody who's very emotional. He's very calculated. Why is this the calculation? Is he exchanging the impeachment for a guarantee of uh, not getting rid of the filibuster? Well, again, I, I, I certainly will make my views known. I'm doing it now on your program, and I'll do it. Uh, I've, I've, I'll express those to him directly. You know, one of the things I don't know is, is this something that he held out there until noon today because uh, he wanted to make, use it as leverage to prevent the president from doing things that may, he may have been thinking about doing that the leader is against, you know, or pardon Snowden. I, I, I'm speculating, you know, I don't right. know if he was using it as leverage to hold him off until noon today, or if he really means it. We'll find out soon enough. In the end, you know, the bottom line is that they'll, if, if, when they do, when those, when those uh, managers deliver those documents to the Senate, it'll immediately trigger a trial, and we'll be sitting in there uh, like we did a year ago this month uh, for the second time. But this time, it's, it's, it really makes no sense. I mean, we are holding a trial, and I get it. You want to hold the president accountable. Okay, here's an interesting thing I would say. 
when Richard Nixon left office, Gerald Ford pardoned him. And that was very controversial. Probably cost him the election, okay? And a lot of people ripped him apart. I think years in the future, we'll all now acknowledge that that was the right decision because it was in the right interest of our country to move beyond that period of time. And I think that's where we are now, probably even more so given the challenges we're now facing. Senator, you've always made so much sense. Truly appreciate it. I know your voice will continue to be heard, and the PP program uh, is continuing to handing out uh, uh, millions of dollars to worthy businesses. Uh, thanks to you. That was your idea. Senator Marco yes, sir, Rubio, thank you, thank you so much. You got it. Uh, and that is, we have so many stations in Florida, and I know they always appreciate hearing from the senator. one 408 7669 and around the country. He makes a lot of sense. I hope Mitch McConnell's listening. I'm not sure he is. I think he's in church with the future president. Or he's president-elect for a few more hours. And Gerard Baker at the bottom of the hour. Your call is next. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I am even more proud to be standing here doing this from the Major Bo Biden facility. Ladies and gentlemen, I only have one regret. He's not here because he sh- we should be introducing him as president. Bo Biden was a great guy by almost all accounts, did serve in the military, uh, Bo Biden passed away, uh, along with a lot of the, the president's really first family, his daughter and his wife uh, from years ago, and his, uh, his other kids were caught in that accident. Uh, but he's been through a lot of tragedy. We wish him the best. He becomes president today. And we understand, according to our reporting, uh, we looks like Donald Trump did leave a note for uh, incoming President Joe Biden, which is the tradition. Jason listening in K- Kentucky. Hey, Jason. Hey, Brian. I voted for... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. 
daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast. Like, subscribe, and share. Here in Kentucky, you voted for Mitch over the years, uh, and sometimes I regret that vote. But, you know, I feel like he's a lame duck senator. His age is going to run him out in six years. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm concerned that he could basically go in there and splinter the whole Republican Party, both on a national level and here in a, as a state level as well. And my question to you, is he, is he going to become like a Mitt Romney number two uh, in your eyes? Uh, I listen. I, I, he's so calculated. I, even at eighty-six or whatever he is, I never. He's never done anything that's not good for the party. He's not even selfish. He's more for the party, you know. So, and he knows he and the president accomplished so much together. You would think he, you know, maybe give an interview years later after he retires and says, "I never liked the president," but now considering impeachment, knowing it's going to cut the party in half, at least maybe a third goes with Mitch and two thirds goes with Trump. But the better yet, Democrats love it because they can't afford to lose anyone. I'm surprised. And, and, you know, you heard Marco Rubio speculate that perhaps this is calculated. They want to make sure the president didn't do certain things on the way out. And maybe he's just going to pull the whole impeachment thing back and say, I'm not going to vote for it. And I encourage no one else to do it. I'm going to go inside that, uh, that the mind of Mitch with Gerard Baker next. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Today, I would say the party is is split. Um, Time will tell whether we can get that back together or not. I think that we can. Brad, I think you have to sort of separate... Uh, the policies and the accomplishments of the Trump administration with the personality. Uh, the policies of the Trump administration, I think, it, you know, a great number of people in the Republican Party support uh, what he's accomplished. And that is Dan Quayle uh, saying, look, the guy, the guy governed as a conservative, and he also gave a lot of people a voice. And please don't uh, gloss over the fact that, yeah, he lost, but he got 74 to 75 million votes. More than Barack Obama, more than Bill Clinton, more than Mitt Romney, more than John McCain, more than George Bush twice, more than any other Republican in history. But he didn't win. Uh, And that was what Donald Trump had trouble getting over. And a lot of people listening to me right now are mad that I even said that, but it's true. Uh, And they'll look at this and everyone's going to try to tighten up their uh, their states and make it better like Florida clearly has done, like Ohio and North Carolina clearly have done. And then we'll go from there. I hope that we make it a national mission. Gerard Baker recognized the good and the bad about this day as we witness the exchange of powers. Donald Trump has left a Marine One to Air Force One. He is now gone for the first time in 152 years. A president is not going to be present as the handoff of power takes place. We understand he did leave a note, uh, did leave a note in the top drawer for uh, Joe Biden. Joining us now, Gerard Baker, editor at large for The Wall Street Journal. And you wrote about that, Gerard, didn't you? Brian, yeah, thanks very much for having me. Yes, I did. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said there. And it is important for people to acknowledge that uh, President Trump lost. It was uh, he got more votes, as you say, than uh, than any incumbent president. He got more votes than uh, all those everybody else except Joe Biden. And he did lose the election. And his behaviour since then is, um, you know, deeply uh, deeply unacceptable. The point I the piece I wrote this week was that as people 
um, especially as the media kind of rushes to condemn Donald Trump for what he's done, uh, not just in the last two months, of course, they, they, they hate everything he's done in the last four years. We really shouldn't forget those 74, 75 million people uh, who, vote, who voted for him. Um, and I think the greatest success, the greatest achievement of Donald Trump was, you know, you can, you can say lots of good things about tax reform, about regulation reform, about all the justices, the justices on the Supreme Court and the judges in, in the federal judiciary. The reason he got elected, we shouldn't in 2016 was because he gave a voice to people who felt that the country was um, headed off in seriously the wrong direction and had been for the last 20 years. And people who felt ignored and unheeded and actually, frankly, derided and dismissed by people. And it would be a terrible mistake for Joe Biden and indeed even for the Republican Party right now, as it says goodbye to, uh, to Donald Trump, to forget that, to forget that those people voted for Donald Trump. Uh, because he spoke to them. He spoke in language they understood. Um, he spoke to them about the, their concerns, he, about their values. He represented to a lot of people American values that they think have been under threat for the last 20, 30 years. And I'm not here talking about racists. Of course, there are, there's, there's always racists and bigots who, um, who vote for candidates. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about ordinary, decent Americans who feel that the country has been out of badly run for the last 20 years and has been increasingly driven in a direction by an elite media an elite cultural establishment that basically wants to undo everything that America stands for. The one thing that I think overwhelming thing that one can say for, for Donald Trump is that he understood that a lot of people don't like that and want the country to be respected and want its values to be reaffirmed. And I think that Donald Trump was good at doing that. It's unbelievable. And, and one of your and, and this is probably one of the most poignant paragraphs from your column. It says people who have grown up believing their country for all its faults was decent and good and has been a unique force for human freedom. We're now told that it has always been the nerve center of oppression fit only for a reeducation of reactionary minds. And Gerard, you want proof? Look at they're trying to take down the statues. I mean, people marching, they're trying to redo the curriculum in our schools, and they're having success. We have this New York Times story, which is now suddenly, even though it's full of holes and inaccuracies, which is now part of public school systems, the 1619 Project. So people are ripping at our foundation while at the same time ripping at our present. And they're saying, okay, there's a lot of people on the outside going, I love this. Russia and China go, I love this. Europe always thought was having trouble accepting that they were descending and we were ascending. They're kind of loving this. Yeah. And, you know, again, Donald Trump spoke for those people at a time when they feel, understandably, that nobody else was prepared to do it. Most of the media, you know, with the exception, obviously, of Fox, of people like you, Brian, of the, the Wall Street, Street Journal, Journal. Page, yeah. Wall Street Journal, the page where I work, you know, I've stood up for these values. And again, you know, nobody's saying here America's been perfect. Everybody understands slavery was a terrible thing, and you had to fight a civil war to get rid of it. And then Jim Crow that followed it was a terrible thing, and we had to have the civil rights move to get rid of it. But look at what America has done compared with other countries around the world. Look at what America has – America, America's system of liberal democracy and its promotion of, of capitalism, of free market capitalism, has lifted more people out of poverty, more people out of uh, essentially slavery, political slavery around the world in the last 200 years than any – all the other systems and all the other countries combined in the history of humanity. That should never, ever, ever – not only should it not be forgotten, it should never be anything other than first and foremost in people's minds. You could tell from my voice, I'm an immigrant. I came here from England. I you know, love this country. And I came to this country in large part because of what it stands for. And because it, because it has, again, it's, it's acknowledged its failings. It's acknowledged about the things that, 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 it's, that it's got wrong. And it's always moved to put them right. And at the same time, as promoting, as I say, the most important values of human freedom. It was founded in pursuit of those ideals, in pursuit of those values. And unfortunately, for the last 20, 30 years, Brian, people are being 
being growing up in this country and being taught in schools and being taught through Hollywood and through the media uh, and through pretty well every major cultural establishment, cultural institution, that this is a terrible country, it's a country of oppression and white privilege and, uh, and uh, oppression and discrimination and unfairness. And that is only a part of the, American, of the American story. The most important part of the American story is that it stood for freedom. And again, that is why so many people felt so alienated from the system in 2016. And Donald Trump spoke for those people and spoken for the last four years. He got a lot wrong. Let's be candid about that. And he said a lot of things that uh, a lot of us are very uncomfortable with. But he did speak to those people. He spoke to a lot of people who are not racist, who are not bigots, who love their country, who respect their country, who want their country, believe their country is a great country. Uh, and he spoke for them and he gave them a voice. And I think that will be uh, – that needs to be remembered. It needs to be remembered above all by Joe Biden. Joe Biden won yep, the election, 81 million votes. But, but 74, 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. And, and Joe Biden needs to remember the reasons that they voted for that firm. Of course he won. Of course he got a majority. He can do, he can, he can do much of his agenda. But he does need to remember that there are a lot of people in this country who for a long time have felt dismissed and disdained and derided by the political and the cultural establishment. And Joe Biden would do very well to, to remember that and to listen to them. And Gerard, I, I think it's also important, don't get caught up in approval ratings. I mean, George Bush left, I think, 30 percent, and he's now at 53 percent. Harry Truman, I just went to his House in the Keys, which he spent, um, had 175 days of his presidency there. That was his camp. David, he left, I think, with 28 percent approval rating. He's looked at as a near great president by almost every calculus. So people shouldn't get caught up in that. But the one thing that we do have lingering is this impeachment. And the two biggest, uh, the biggest names in the party are Mitch McConnell and President Trump. And they could not be more at odds. Listen to Mitch McConnell yesterday, cut 23. The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. And they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. And he would not commit uh, to not voting for the president to be impeached while he's at Mar-a-Lago. What are your thoughts about this, uh, Mitch McConnell, who has respect on both sides as a calculated politician? I have, to, I have to say it, Brian. I think Mitch McConnell's right. I think that what, again, irrespective of what I've just said about the president and his ability to stand up for ordinary people, a lot of ordinary Americans, and, and by the way, that's why they're so loyal to him and why they feel so loyal to him through the last two months and why so many of them continue to insist the election was stolen. But I'm afraid Mitch McConnell's right. It, you know, the, the issue of whether, a specific issue of whether or not President Trump incited in his language on January the 6th, people to go to appeal, you know, that, 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 that's not the issue. And he probably didn't. He used language that people use all the time, like fighting and all yeah. that kind of stuff. The problem is exactly as Mitch McConnell spelled it out, which is the, the president told people for two months that the election was stolen. He went through all his legal avenues as he was entitled to do. None of them produced any uh, alternative result. He lost them all. He lost every single case. Um, and at that point, and when, and first of all, when the Electoral College met in December and voted for the, Joe Biden as president, and then, of course, when that was going to be ratified by the Congress uh, on January the 6th, the president should have said, 
I don't like the result. I don't like it. I don't think it's right. I still think I was cheated, but I accept the result. But he didn't. He continued to tell his followers, firstly, that the result was wrong, that it was stolen, and that it wasn't a legitimate election, which is not true. It was a legitimate election. And secondly, he continued to tell his followers that somehow Mike Pence had some constitutional means to stop the result actually being ratified by Congress, which was also not true, and was actually was, was urging by the president, urging Mike Pence, essentially urging an unconstitutional act. That was not right. And you know, th- that is why people like Mitch McConnell um, and, you know, uh, several other uh, Republican senators and we saw 10 Republican House members, it's why they were so outraged and why they voted against it. That was not acceptable behavior. Now, whether he should be removed, I mean, obviously he's now he'll be gone from office in a couple of hours' time, whether he should then be convicted and then disqualified yeah. from office, that's something that, you know, the Senate is going to take up in the next couple of weeks and there'll have to be consideration. Other, other factors will come into consideration there. But I think on the basic issue about what the president did and the way the president encouraged his support to believe the election was stolen when it wasn't and encouraged them to believe that Mike Pence could do something he couldn't. That was wrong. True. And I agree with two-thirds of what you said. Everything you said leading up to the, the speech, hey, go down to Capitol, let your voice be heard. I don't think there's a cell in his body who said go invade the place and look to hurt people. And especially if you're a Donald Trump supporter, the last person on the planet you will ever hurt is a male or female police officer. And these in- insurrectionists actually were attacking them, killed one of them with a fire extinguisher. I haven't seen the video, but I assume the reports are true. So yeah. I would say even Trump's greatest critic would never say that Trump wants anything to happen to law enforcement. But what I'm saying is that of all the unorthodox things Donald Trump has said, some that are just flat out wrong, even from day one when he said my crowd's bigger than Barack Obama, Mitch McConnell didn't go out of his way to say anything, even though he probably whispered over to his wife, Elaine Chow, who worked for the president. Who cares? I'm wondering on this day, when you think I have to pick up the pieces to this party, make sure the success they had in the House gets them it back and the chamber they reclaimed in two years. Why does it work to his political advantage to side with Chuck Schumer at this point? When no one's urging it to happen. In fact, I would think that if Mitch McConnell is looking out for his party, what's left of it, he would say, hey, listen, Chuck, let's forget about this. Hey, Joe, you want to do your first sign of getting married together? He's gone. What else can you do? That's what I'm thinking. As a calculated move, it doesn't seem Mitch McConnell-esque. You're totally right. The problem is – I completely agree with you. The problem is that they're in a – they're in a hole, aren't they, the Republican leadership right now? They've got – because they know, everybody knows that Donald Trump could, if he wanted to, if he said to his – he's got, I mean, we don't know how many of those 75 million voters would vote for Donald Trump over anybody else. Yeah. A lot of them would vote for the Republican candidate anyway. But we know that a very sizable number of them would, would were, were, were Donald Trump, sort of Donald Trump's key supporters and Donald Trump-only supporters. If he decided to go tomorrow and set up his party, and there are stories – we've got a story in the Wall Street Journal today saying that he's been talking to people about setting up his own party. Patriot he party. could do yeah. – Pretty well terminal damage to the Republican Party. He could take tens of millions of voters away. He wouldn't get elected because they wouldn't, he wouldn't have enough votes. But no Republican candidate would get elected. He could damage Republicans in primaries and in, and in congressional races across the country. He could do incredible damage. So on the one hand, they have that problem. They don't want – they can't afford to lose Donald Trump, quite frankly, because he would do so much damage. On the other hand – if you stay, if you don't, if you don't pursue the, uh, if you don't pursue the impeachment, if you don't go ahead with that, in Mitch McConnell's view, you raise the possibility, in fact, the inevitability that Donald Trump will be the dominant figure in the Republican. Donald Trump presumably will then stay in the Republican Party for the next four years. Could run again in 2024. Many of his supporters want him to run again in 2024, and will loom over the Republican Party, and the Republican Party will never be able to move on. 
So they are they're on the horns of a dilemma there. And I, I don't agree. I don't disagree with you, Brian. This is, you know, polit- as a political calculation, it's questionable. It might just be better to say, you know what? It's, you know, and by the way, I think by the time we get the first two weeks, there's going to be so much going on. <laughs> Biden's going to do all these executive actions. We're going to have a, you know, a new president. All kinds of stuff's going to go on. There might be a, there might be an issue as this as this impeachment debate rolls on. Will people say, look, do we really want to move forward with this? And they may just drop it, or the Republican, the Democrats won't. The Republicans may just say, you know what? Let's go ahead with it. But I agree with you. I, I, you know, it is a very, very, very difficult political calculation. But it is a political calculation, and I'm sure one that Mitch McConnell is making. Donald Trump still giving you a lot to write about, Gerard Baker, even as he uh, leaves the scene. He's now en route to Mar-a-Lago. And in about an hour, the president of the United States, uh, about two hours, the president of the United States, uh, or before 12 Eastern, the president of the United States will be uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Gerard Baker, I look forward to your next column, as I always Thanks, do, Brian. your next appearance on TV. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. You got it. Uh, Gerard Baker weighs in. one 866 We'll keep you up to date on what's happening. Let me just paint a little picture for you. At the Capitol building, there's going to be about 2,000 people, 200 of which they look they list as VIPs. And usually it was 500,000 for Barack Obama, so less than that for, uh, for a little less than that for Donald Trump. But it's not going to be the same thing because of the pandemic, obviously. And then it's off to 17 executive orders trying to undo the Trump legacy right away. I am not sure that's the best way to bring America together and get America united. And we're right now seeing the, uh, the Tahoes making their way towards the Capitol building. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show on a historic day. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Despite that, the things that we've done have been just incredible, and I couldn't have done them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. And that is Donald Trump this morning. He had two speeches, one at Air Force, uh, Andrews Air Force Base and one leaving the White House. He had a few remarks to make and then one on tape yesterday. He is now gone, and uh, Joe Biden's made his way out of church. Uh, the Capitol building begins to fill up. They'll have about 2,000 people, 200 VIPs. Uh, they're all streaming in. There's no parade because of the coronavirus. So we'll keep you up to date on all those happenings. Might be a great time to find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, but Donald Trump won't hand the uh, Joe Biden team the nuclear football. The U.S. official told NBC News that a military aide will accompany Trump to Florida with one of the footballs. It'll go dead at 11.59.59 and, of course, will get activated when Joe Biden gets to power, uh, technically at at least 12. they got to do this before 12. Next, Donald Trump's in jeopardy of losing another vote. This one from Hollywood's labor union. It could cost him a return to The Apprentice if he wanted to go there. SAG said Tuesday that the board... uh, voted overwhelmingly that there is probable cause that Trump violated its guidelines for membership. They just don't like him. Next, Stephanie McMahon, a daughter of Vince McMahon, says WrestleMania 37 
will have a live audience at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. That is the site of the Super Bowl. They say they're not going to, I don't believe, having a live audience. But WrestleMania has to live on ticket sales. April 10th and 11th, it'll be there. Knowing Florida, they're going to get a hold of this virus by then. It's really important for them to have an audience because it changes the dynamic of watching a wrestling event, storylines, because if someone like you were to go out to the arena and get yeah, a but huge ovation. they just pump in sounds, but they need to they sell do, those they tickets. They do that, but what it does is it changes storylines where a wrestler can be so popular. They're like, well, he was a bad guy. He's so popular. we got to change the storyline make him the, the guy. Like, if you were to walk out, you get a big cheer. Right. You're going to be the champion now. I Without can't get a real you to audience, comment on Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden's next four years for WrestleMania in April. You're all over it, Pete. Next, women are 50% more likely to suffer concussions more than men in sporting events. That does not surprise me, but it does surprise me by the fact that most women don't play football. They say soccer and basketball uh, are the ones that cause it for the women. I'm a bit of a surprise there, but there is a concussion by this certain quarterback, the Kansas City Chiefs. I wonder if he's going to play in the AFC Championship game. Brian, kill me. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, historic day. We have inauguration day as one party says goodbye. That is, in one president says goodbye, the 45th president, Donald Trump, has now left the town. He is en route to Mar-a-Lago in Florida, his new residence, at least for the time being. And we're about 90 minutes away from having a new president, Joe Biden. I guess technically Donald Trump's still the president. President-elect Joe Biden has to be sworn in before noon constitutionally, and I'm sure that's going to happen. Britt Hume standing by to put this very unique pandemic-ridden inauguration in perspective. Carol Markowitz, a columnist for The New York Post, to talk about the shutdown and what the COVID virus has done to certain states and not to others, to put it all in perspective in a matter of moments, which I know you can all relate to. Uh, so coming to you from New York, Kurt, around the country, let's get started with the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If Washington doesn't provide the New York State with our fair share of funding, we're going to pursue litigation because I cannot in good faith represent the people of this state and know that they are being harmed. Oh, is this guy unbelievable? Pay me or I will sue? Governor Cuomo's latest idiotic statement blaming the federal government for the pandemic and wants $15 billion right away from Joe Biden. Nice. Number two. Biden will sign executive orders related to climate change and immigration and in the first 100 days plans to push Congress to shorten the pathway to citizenship for 11 million illegal immigrants to eight years from 13. Wow, fantastic. Way to bring the country together. Take the most controversial issue out there and bring it to the forefront where Republicans cannot agree. Biden's agenda, his immigration plan, all about ideology, not practicality. We'll give you the details. Number one. At noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. The belief that a nation must serve its citizens will not dwindle but instead only grows stronger by the day. The president's remarks uh, about an hour ago. He says goodbye. I say hello, says Joe Biden. Four years have passed like no other. What about the next four years? That's, what, that's why we've booked Britt Hume. Uh, Britt, thanks so much for joining us. 
Glad to do it, Brian. Yeah, and thanks for joining me last night. I'll be on at the 7 again tonight. It was great to have Britt right in the A block where we have you now. Uh, so, Britt, we're on WABC where you used to work. Uh, only on the, we're in the radio side. The Marine Band is playing at this inauguration, only about 2,000 there. What have you noticed that stood out about what you've seen so far that's different? First and foremost, the past president, the soon-to-be past president, is not there. That's right, Brian, and that's obviously noticeable. And of course, the whole setting is is unlike what it's always been, particularly in recent inaugurations, where you have a vast crowd on the mall to welcome the incoming president and <clears throat> and hear what the president, new president, has to say. The outgoing president, by tradition, is uh, among those seated behind him uh, in the you know part of the ceremonial peaceful transfer of power. President Trump opted not to do this, um, not to take part in it, and to head for Mar-a-Lago. Lago. So, you know, and of course, the fact that the city is an armed camp is very different from anything we've seen before. I'm not sure it isn't a total overreaction, but after what happened at the Capitol uh, on the 6th, uh, nobody in authority in Washington was going to take any chances. So we see what we see. We understand the President Trump did do one thing tradi- that goes with tradition. That's leave a note for uh, soon to be a president-elect Biden uh, for him to open up and read and they'll keep it secret unless one of them wants to come forward with it. A uh, little dis- I was I mentioned before, uh, disappointed with the president's actions since Election Day, but not disappointed with the last four years. Every day was different. We know it. Some stuff was phenomenal. You look at the tax reform, look at the USMCA, you look at criminal justice reform, uh, you look at the renegotiation of NAFTA, making our allies pay the Middle East uh, peace. There's a lot of things that happened in four years, correct? The president uh, had, as, he is a paradox of all presidents I've seen in this sense, that on a personal basis, in terms of his personality, he was divisive, he was controversial, at times he was mean-spirited, he behaved in a, you know, at times in a vulgar and unpleasant way that's, you know, soured millions of Americans on him. But at the same time, his accomplishment list is remarkably long for so controversial a figure. And, you know, he cited some of those things himself. Uh, he's never been shy about doing that. Um, but the list is really quite long and quite impressive. Uh, you know, the, the Biden administration is coming in with the, with a lot of uh, a lot of alarms being sounded about the about the COVID pandemic and how the first job is to get a hold of that. Well, what's the first thing you would want to do if you're trying to wipe out a, a, a pandemic? You develop a vaccine for it. That's already done. There are serious distribution issues, but the main the main task is has been accomplished, um, which greets the new administration with you know something already in progress and. You know, it won't be hard to build on that. Uh, that's just a site, one example of the many things that did get done under this controversial president. Have you, and this is one question I wanted to ask you last night on TV I didn't get to, but do you remember a period or a presidency, even a year, where Washington was legitimately working with each other, where they were trying to do deals? Well, look, there's always – we are set up in an adversarial system, yep. Democrats versus Republicans, third parties have occasionally made an impact, but that's how we do. So, you know, there's always, you know, ideological struggle. Um, the divisions in the country on the issues have not always been quite this deep, so the opportunities for working across the aisle are not as numerous. Um, but I can remember even in the early days of the, of the George W. Bush administration, before the Iraq War became, you know, such a huge and divisive matter, uh, there were things that got done. Um, um, you know, President 
George W. Bush and, and no Ted child Kennedy worked behind. on the No Child Left Behind Act to cite one conspicuous example. So sure, there have been times like this. And during the Cold War, there was a lot of there was uh, there was a continuity in policy that that had both sides working together. They spent what they had to spend on the military. Uh, they largely agreed on on you know broadly speaking on foreign policy issues and so on. Uh, that could be revived to some extent, but it'll take some real work on both sides. Just some of the things you're seeing on television, Amy Klobuchar making her way towards the Capitol building, Steny Hoyer, as well as uh, Senator uh, Chuck Schumer. He's got to be happy. He'll be majority leader for the first time. We saw Ted Cruz making his way to the Capitol. Remember, there was about 70 lawmakers who were so upset that President Trump won or thought he was illegitimate, they did not show up. I have no idea who's showing up and not showing up for this one. But with the pandemic, there's a built-in excuse. So... If I'm looking for clues that Joe Biden wanted to really unite America, I'm not happy with what I just saw. Let's get rid of the XL pipeline. Let's roll out controversial immigration measures. Let's make sure we don't build another mile of wall. He has 17 executive orders ready to roll. I think Barack Obama had zero. George Bush had one. And Donald Trump had one. Early indications are the words say America United, the theme. But, Britt, have you seen it? Look, on these matters, which are sort of core issues for Democrats and for the incoming president, I'm not surprised uh, to see the executive orders being reversed. Obviously, these things were highly controversial, which is one reason why they were done by executive order, because you, in all likelihood, could not have gotten them passed through Congress. So that that's where that starts out. I don't think, if you're looking for Biden being a unifier, I wouldn't look at it immediately on in terms of these issues. I would look for the tone he sets, right? So does he act in a way to try to reduce the, the partisan tensions? And the first test of that, it seems to me, is this a- effort to impeach the outgoing president, who will be the gone president by the time an impeachment trial uh, can even begin. Uh, I suspect that down deep, it doesn't make, you know, Biden's not particularly bitter on that stuff. I don't think he'd like, but does he have the strength to stand up to those in his party who would like to see the president not just, you know, impeached, convicted, but tarred and feathered? Um, that'll be an interesting test to see how he deals with that. Look, he on paper, he has no role in impeachment. It's a congressional matter. <clears throat> but... If he leaned on his party leaders to say, "Look, let's not go forward with this. Let's let's let this ride. Let's and 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 tries to push it off to the side," uh, that would tell you something, and that would be worth right. watching. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see what kind of what kind of language he uses today. We live in an age of exaggeration, overheated rhetoric. You know, this wasn't just a mob riot on Capitol Hill. It was an insurrection, which I don't really think it was. But you know, that that kind of rhetoric is what's paid off in recent years. Certainly, President Trump has used a lot of overheated rhetoric. Let's see if let's see what. Biden does. I know a lot of people take different hours at different times, but for my affiliates who are with us live, uh, the president-elect Biden will be a minister of the oath at 1145. Even if they're running behind, they'll find a way to do it before 12. So as I brought up earlier, Mitch McConnell yesterday uh, kind of blamed the president. He said he provoked uh, he provoked powerful people uh, by trying to give fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding with the first branch of government. A lot of people were surprised by that, went out of his way, what President Trump one day left from leaving. Here's what Lindsey Graham said when he heard Mitch McConnell essentially say, uh, we're moving ahead with impeachment, it seems. Cut 25. 
I like Mitch McConnell. He did more than confirm judges. He really helped President Trump with everything that he did. Uh, he's a street fighter legislatively. He's a smart guy. But what we need right now is for Senator McConnell to unequivocally say that the second impeachment of Donald Trump after he leaves office is not only unconstitutional, it is bad for the country and uh, stand up and fight back. Rand Paul took it from there. My fear is that if Republicans, particularly Republican leadership, goes along with this impeachment, they'll destroy the party. And so I think it's a huge mistake. I think it's a hugely partisan exercise on the part of the Democrats. But for Republicans who go along with it, I think they'll destroy our party. He's got a legitimate fear. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be easy anyway. But you know, look, Brian. Let me just say this about it. It's a very good question whether the the conviction of the president and a subsequent vote to strip him from ever holding higher uh, public office, uh, federal office again, hurts the Democrats or hurts the Republicans. Uh, I think Mitch McConnell has a suspicion that if Trump were barred from future office, it would really diminish his chances to be an, uh, a meaningful leader again in the party and to sow the divisions within the party that, that, that he has come to represent. Now, look, most Republicans supported him, but believe me, Brian, they didn't support him because they liked his manner and his, and his temperament and his behavior. They supported him because they liked how he stood on the issues. At this point, however, having all, now that all this water has run under the bridge, uh, the party, I think he thinks, needs to make a. I'm talking about McConnell here. Needs to make a break with that past and come forward with much of the same agenda, perhaps as as Trump forwarded, but with new leaders, different leaders. Um, Trump is decisively unpopular. Look what look what's been lost. You know, you can point to his approval rating in the Republican Party, but the House is gone. And that was lost in the midterm. The Senate is now gone, with considerable thanks to him, and and now the presidency is gone. So they ended up losing everything. Um, no wonder, no wonder a leader uh, would think that new leadership is needed. But I did. Uh, we did see a, a stunning closing of the gap to now within ten seats in the House. And you know the way things trend. It was going to be a surprise if the Republicans held on to the Senate. Having said that, Georgia was really at the feet of the president. No question. One of those two should have been a layup. Purdue had won that by 88,000 votes. What happened in a month? So what happened is the president went to war with the Republican leadership. Yeah, Trump traveled all over the country spinning wild tales about how he'd won in a landslide. Imagine that. I mean, he didn't—look— I, I can understand why you might be skeptical of the results, but, you know, you look all across the country in federal courts, many of them presided over by Republican appointees. The challenges to the election were rejected, rejected time after time after time in dozens of court in courtrooms across the country. That ought to have been enough to convince the president that maybe he was maybe this wasn't going to wash. But no, he kept this up for, for two months. And before you know it, he was saying that, you know, Mike Pence had the unilateral authority to, to block the uh, counting of and certification of the Electoral College votes and so on. That was a real disservice to the country. I think anyone, any reasonable person would agree with that. Um, and that's what I think turned Georgia. You're telling people, you know, if you're telling people over and over again that the, the election has been stolen uh, and because, the, you know, the, the, the electric system and the voting systems were, were corrupt, that's not a very good argument for getting out and voting in the next, you know, in the upcoming uh, special elections. And so Republican turnout sank and the Democrats won the seat, both of them. Right. Hey, Brett, the other thing is, it's just that, as we brought up earlier, a lot of the things that Joe Biden wants to do and his party want to push him to do is very unpopular. 
I mean, I think 76% of the people want to close border, especially in the pandemic. He wants to restructure curriculums across the country, more 1619 than 1776. I mean, the, the, you know, in terms of these environmental causes, people want to be environmentally savvy, but they don't want to pay more taxes, more money in gas, and, and have all these inconveniences when the rest of the world is not doing this stuff. And do you know anybody a- thirsting for the Iranian deal? Democrats were not voting for the Iranian deal. The best <laughs> offense for Republicans has to be a lot of what Joe Biden says he wants to do. Well, that's right. And let's see if he actually moves forward and tries to do it. It was interesting to hear Janet Yellen, the nominee for Treasury Secretary, saying in her confirmation hearing yesterday that she's not in any hurry to start raising taxes. Um, and if he doesn't nice. have 60 votes, uh, it might be hard for him to raise taxes. Um, it can be done under what's called reg- reconciliation, which requires only only a simple majority. But I'm not even sure he could get that now. Um, with this narrow division in the Senate, with any any Democratic defections would defeat that. So let's see what he does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's well for all of us to give him a chance. You know, there's been a lot of hot rhetoric during the right. election campaign. Let's see how much he follows through on, how much of the left, the really leftist agenda that he's talked about, he actually follows through on. That'll be a test of whether he wants to unite the country. Hey, Britt, I, I have an opinion that's a little bit controversial. I think you reti- oh, I see you went to semi-retirement way too soon. You got your A-game out now. You're ready for the next four years. Why don't you come back full-time? Get dental. Get your health care uh, taken care of. Get your sick days. I'm still getting some of those benefits, and uh, believe me, I need them. That's one reason I'm still working, because the medical plan is really pretty good. And But there's not, I don't think there's enough coffee in the world to, to, uh, to get me back to working full time. I turn in a couple of days a week and participate in things like this, which I very much enjoy, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. But full-time work, not in the cards. All right. I'll see what I can do. I'll talk to your people. Uh, Britt, you. Thanks so much. You're the best. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I will always fight for you. I will be watching, I will be listening, and I will tell you that the future of this country has never been better. I wish the new administration great luck and great success. I think they'll have great success. They have the foundation to do something really spectacular. And the President of the United States, his final remarks before leaving from Mar-a-Lago. Right now, we're witnessing Joe Biden and uh, the soon-to-be president, the 46th president, and uh, the soon-to-be first lady, Jill Biden, uh, walking their way to the Capitol steps. They're accompanied to their immediate right, Jill Biden's right. Uh, Now they're standing behind uh, Kamala Harris, the future uh, vice president, and the second gentleman, Doug. Uh, So we'll keep you up to date on what's happening there. Eric, listening in WOKV in Florida. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. Um I just wanted to share a little bit about Mitch McConnell. Um, I'm your age, 1964. My first time voting for Ronald Reagan was his second term. I've been a registered Republican, devout Republican, since that day. And Mitch McConnell is going to push me into going, well, here in Florida we have NPA, no, no party affiliation. I will continue to vote Republican because I have no other choice. But, but you're really upset I'm at Mitch. To, You're upset at Mitch. Re- yes. And um, – 
a little side note about what people have accused Trump of, especially your last guest. Uh, dictators do the censoring. They're not censored. And uh, no walls except around the Capitol. It's, it's just getting – well, you're a history buff. Tell me DACA isn't boss tweet in Tammany Hall. The stuff that's going on is just so wrong. Uh, I hear you, uh, Eric. I hear the frustration. The president of the United States needs leverage. His leverage is, you do this to me, I'm starting my own party, and I'll destroy yours. And that might save him. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You hear over and over for the small business owners, nobody's talking to us. There's no plan. Nobody's saying what we're doing. We're bending over backwards to try to make it work, and no one seems to care. When you see their reactions, how much stress there. We have owners being like, I haven't slept in six months. I don't tell my wife, like, the stress or vice versa. You realize what a difference it's making and just how crazy it is that it's happening. Dave Portnoy of uh, Barstool took a dare. Someone, you know, he was complaining about the shutdown, that we bent the curve. Why is everything shut down? And then uh, one of these other guys stepped up and says, listen, uh, why don't you put $500,000 up? I'll put $500,000 up and we'll help these people. And it became now $32 million uh, raised. And he was able to I was able to walk this the boarded up streets of New York City with him. And he talked about the quest. And hopefully you had a chance to see part one of two parts that I have at seven o'clock tonight. Uh, where he's able to surprise these business owners who write an essay, do a video, and talk about the plight they're going through. And with the place we went to yesterday that you're going to see tonight was an eight-seat luncheonette, a tiny place that was still making money in New York City with the big rents and has been totally shut down. They can't even build an outside. So unlike Florida, unlike Texas, we're all going through this pandemic, but they're trying to stay alive. They have an opportunity to. Carol Markowitz is outraged by this. All you have to do is read her columns to find out. She's a columnist with the New York Post. Carol, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, so this outraged you, what we're going through right now. Uh, yeah. First off, your thoughts about bending the curve one year later. Yeah, you know, I, I think that we've been lied to. And uh, honestly, in March, I was in favor of closing everything. I thought, you know, this pandemic was coming. I, I had already prepared for it in February. I had stopped sending my kids to school before it officially became the rule. Um, and I was afraid. But then once we saw what it actually was, and once we figured out how it was spreading, uh, it made no sense to keep everything closed. And I became an advocate for opening up. Um, and the fact that now we're heading into almost a year later and New York City, among other places, is still largely closed is baffling. And it really kills me for my city that these restaurants can't be open when they are in so many other places and they're managing just fine. Yeah, and it's pretty unbelievable. And because you were in Florida and I was in Florida over the mm -hmm. weekend and people were felt fortunate, but they would say to me, listen, we got to get this 12 o'clock curfew taken off. 12 o'clock, yeah. we're just getting started. And and that's what yeah. the mayor said. I'm trying to talk to my governor about lifting the, uh, the other right. mayor, about po possibly lifting up that 12 o'clock curfew. We have a 10 o'clock curfew on Long Island yes. and throughout New York State. <laughs> and that's really yeah. tough because they drop the checks at 930 and you're right. out of there. Right. 
Yeah. So, so many restaurant owners. So in New York City, it's 10 o'clock and outdoors, which is hilarious on a day that it's snowing, right? Like today. Um, but it's it's really just, it, it makes no sense for the restaurant owners because 8.30 is a, a seating, but they can't seat anybody at 8.30. So it, the last seating yeah. has to be at 8. So they really lose another seating. Um, and so many restaurant owners have expressed just how impossible that is, how at 9.30 they have to start ushering people out of their makeshift outdoor seating area. Yeah. And it's just, it's destroying these businesses. And again, it's needless. If, if you could point to Florida and say, look, look how many more cases they have. And that's because they have indoor dining. But Florida has fewer cases than New York. And there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to any of this. Carol Morkowitz with us. And let me just explain the scene. The Capitol is filling up 200 VIPs, 2,000 people overall. The vice president, uh, former vice president, soon to be president, has arrived along with the uh, future vice president, Kamala Harris. They are there. We watched a lot of Republicans walk in, Steve Scalise, uh, Senator John Thune, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham walking in uh, with their guests uh, to a Capitol. It's going to be snug. A lot of flags there to cover up the empty seats, much like they do in sporting events these days because of the pandemic. Uh, and one of the first things we're going to see is a lot of these Democratic governors are going to realize we have to open up in order to mm-hmm. survive In fact, here's an example of a store owner in Florida who's allowed to open. Even though the tourism's not there and the cruise ships aren't available, they still feel fortunate. You can work through it. You can work through it. We're down 15, 20 percent, which is bad. And when you look around the country, you're off 15 percent, not great, but livable. When you look around the country and see shutdown, lockdown, what are your thoughts? Well... Remember we talked earlier, I have businesses in New Orleans. New Orleans is phase one, back to phase one, Louisiana phase two. My businesses there are decimated. I mean, they're in bad shape. And it, we've proven that you can work through it. You can work through it if you just are given the responsibility, you take the bull by the horns. And that they just feel fortunate to be able to do it. Now, when I looked in that, they have um, a band playing behind plexiglass, and they have people separated every other table, and they're willing to – they're finding a way to compete and stay alive while being mm-hmm. smart about it, Carol. Uh, and yeah. do you believe that we're going to witness over the next few weeks people doing what Florida's doing in Democratic-run states like Illinois, California, New York? I think so. But it's, I think in another way, it's very hard for a lot of these politicians to give up the power. Um, it's now been nine days since Governor Cuomo gave a speech saying we have to open. If we don't open, we'll have nothing left to open. And yet, again, restaurants in New York City remain closed for indoor dining. Now, what's interesting about that is New York City has the second lowest positive rate in the state. And yet restaurants all over the state remain open while Nuts. New York City's restaurants are closed. So, again, none of this is based on science. It's just based on a a politician deciding how much control he wants to have. So while I hope that they wake up and say, we need to open, we need to open right now, I've already heard this from Cuomo. It's been over a week and nothing has happened. So I I don't have that much faith. Well, listen to what he said yesterday. If they get a bailout, there's going to be not enough incentive to open up because they have no tax base. The the tax base, 80 percent of uh, tourism dollars are gone. I think it should be 95. And then you look at the uh, the hospitality industry, restaurants and bars yeah. and hotels. They're virtually dissipated. But listen to what he's demanding. If Washington doesn't provide the New York state with our fair share of funding, we're going to pursue litigation. Because I cannot in good faith represent the people of this state 
and know that they are being harmed and know that they're being treated unfairly and not do everything within my power to try to do what is right. Is he out of his mind? Does he really think we're buying that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I have this joke that Governor Cuomo has become a conservative over the last uh, year because he keeps saying things like, we send more of our money to Washington than we get back. Well, yeah, that's, you know, agitate for lower taxes so you can not do that. Um, but, yeah, he, he seems to have uh, realized that 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 system isn't really working for New York, and he is now demanding that demanding under the threat of lawsuit that Joe Biden sends him more cash. Um, I I don't think he gets that. Like this is not the path forward. The path forward is opening. We cannot continue to just get money from Washington and hope to survive on that. That's just not going to work. It's not the way the the math doesn't work. We we are Americans. We right. like working our way through things. And you write about. We are not a risk-averse society. We are pro-risk. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to find a way to get that down payment to buy a house that's maybe a little bit too much for me in order to challenge myself to be more successful. I'm going to go out in the 1800s. I'm going to, there's too crowded. By the way, they used to complain about taxes too high in 26 colonies. So they used to go into unsettled land with a, with a carriage and an axe and a rake. And they would saddle up their family. That's the American spirit and say, I'm going to try my hand at something new. Now we're told shelter in place. I had Anthony Robbins on yesterday and said, you know, since when have we become risk adverse? And you write that, you know, we you know, it's probably safer to drive your car 10 miles an hour than 60 miles an hour. But we Mm -hmm. still drive 60. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, on a less intense level, I think we're seeing that kind of pioneering right now. People are leaving places like New York and California and going to places like Texas and Florida, in part because they handled the pandemic more sanely. Um, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I never once thought about leaving. And now my husband and I talk about it every day. We're both lifelong New Yorkers. Um, And, you know, part of it is the way the pandemic was handled. We know the pandemic will end and New York hopefully will bounce back, but it's not about that. It's about that we saw under the hood and we saw how poorly things were run and we're worried about the future. And it exposed so many things. And I see people pioneering into other places. I'm looking at uh, the vaccine was supposed to be our great hope. And they're still saying when you get the vaccine, you still got to wear a mask and listen to what Mayor de Blasio said. Now, keep in mind, we have unused vaccine all across New York because a lot of nursing homes are just patients and workers are choosing not to take it, which drives me nuts. The the, uh, President Trump should have done a better job telling people how, how safe it is. But here's what the mayor said yesterday. Cut 31. At the rate we are going, we will begin to run out on Thursday, this Thursday, two days from now. And we will have literally uh, nothing left to give as of Friday. What does that mean? It means if we don't get more vaccine quickly, a new supply of vaccine, we will have to cancel appointments and no longer give shots after Thursday for the remainder of the week at a lot of our sites. So uh, that said, I wonder where the rest is, because I only think 60 percent of the vaccines have right. been injected into arms. Well, for one thing, a lot of them were thrown out because we started this process not doing it in a sane way in New York. We didn't do it by age. We tried to, like, write historical, um, you know, problems that we've had. And that was just a really silly way to go about it. So 
now that they're doing it by age, they finally reach the demographic that actually wants the vaccine, that needs the vaccine, that are at risk without the vaccine. So we have people really wanting to get it. Um, I, I think that they'll get the, the new shipment anyway, but it's, I'd really love to know, I'd like to have a better accounting from the city and state where those vaccines went. And if there are a large number that were thrown out, as people believe there were, uh, I, I think the federal government might need to step in and take over because that's a travesty. Right. Uh, in between being sued by the state, they should take right. over. And isn't it amazing that Governor Cuomo says, I want to cut out the middleman. I want to go right yeah. to Pfizer. And that's the same right. guy that says, how dare President Trump say, states, you're on your own. Go get your PPE. He, this guy right. kid wants it every way to Sunday and never gets called out on it. Carol, do you sense outside Carol Markowitz in the New York Post and Miranda Devine, perhaps, and some sober-minded listeners that I have and viewers, that people are understanding he's all talk? I, I am seeing that, absolutely. I have so many friends on the left who sort of whisper to me that they think he's doing a bad job. But it's it's very hard to go against the grain, and I think that the fact that the media frequently puts him up on a pedestal and celebrates him and, you know, lets him get interviewed extensively by his brother and gives him other softball interviews and touts his book and sells his poster, uh, I think it's very hard for people to say the emperor has no clothes, but they are getting there. And I, I am definitely seeing a shift in the perspective that Cuomo is some kind of conquering hero, where he's sort of like this bumbling, you know, leader who, who's done a all-around pretty bad job, and right. people are starting to realize that. And people, by the way, I know people write me, too, and say, Brian, it's not about New York. We also have the same thing in Chicago, and California is actually worse. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the California numbers are, are less. Their numbers are slightly higher per capita, per 100,000, than Florida, who's open. And Texas right. is experiencing a rage. Guess where? Right at the border. The numbers are going yeah. up. Unbelievable. Uh, Carol, and guess what? Uh, the word is caravans are coming. And I'm sure they'd have them all inoculated, and I'm 90% sure they won't all have masks. Carol Markowitz, it's driving us nuts, but it's good to be able to talk to someone that understands the lunacy. Carol, thank you. Thank you so much. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. Just moments ago, we were watching these presidents and senators and congresspeople walking in. We just saw Hillary and Bill Clinton, uh, just, you know, uh, obviously emblematically about two feet apart. Uh, using the banister, walking down the Capitol steps. They're going to be outside shortly. The doors will open. They'll be outside. We're watching Bush 43 and Laura Bush uh, make their way uh, through the Capitol doors. They'll be outside shortly and braving the cold temperatures. Uh, We'll have Vice President Pence there, too. But as you know, two hours ago, Donald Trump has left the building. He has left the state. He had made a speech and is now en route to Mar-a-Lago. Technically president until uh, for an hour and five minutes. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back in a moment. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. My students are in the throes of depression. They're despondent, um, and they are afraid to speak. And it really doesn't matter whether I voted for Trump or Biden. I'm not going to treat my students differently based on who they voted for, but they need to know when they get into my classroom, they're going to be treated fairly. They're going to be taught to think critically. They're not going to be told what to think. And 
there is just an absence of that going on in our university system right now. And it's worth speaking up about. And a lot of people, a lot of schools are not uh, showing the inaugural anywhere in the school because they just don't want to cause controversy. That is a New Mexico state professor who calls out the double standard from the school's president after he denounced the Capitol Hill riot, but stayed silent during all the riots all over the summer that are still happening in Portland today. So people are scared to say anything. It doesn't matter what they think. And I think that's terrible, especially in college campuses. Oh, but it's okay to say certain things, but it's it's not okay to have a conservative thought. Look at what Harvard's doing. We had... Senator Lee Stefanik on yesterday, and they're trying to take her degree, Dan Crenshaw's degree, and Ted Cruz's degree from Harvard that they earned and studied for because they don't like their role in the electoral process because they uh, petitioned it and wanted to have a hearing for it. That, to me, is uh, is unbelievable. If it was an honorary degree, that's one thing. You can go ahead and take it and keep it and in the back of your mind say to yourself, I'm never going to pick up one again. I didn't know it was uh, time-sensitive. But you earned the degree. You pay for the degree in many circumstances. You come from meager circumstances. Turns to Ted Cruz. His dad was a refugee in terms of Elise Stefanik. Her parents had a plywood store. And then they go, listen, we don't like your politics. We'd like your degree back. Ben, listen on WOKV. Hey, Ben. Good morning. I like your tie. It's a classic. Oh, thank you very much. Are you watching on Fox Nation right now? Are you talking about my... Face uh, my uh, Facebook Live this morning. I'm looking at you on Fox Nation, a wonderful, wonderful subscription. Thank you. So, uh, from me to you personally as a stockbroker, uh, suggest you uh, buy stock in the manufacturer. And tonight at 7 when you wear it, again, just mention where you bought it. Anyway, Britt Hume's comments were very salient. I hope you replay them in your next hour. Good food for thought. My real question is last night at a 9 o'clock commentary from your uh, 9 o'clock host, a reference was made to the 15-16 campaign where the 16 other contestants were losers. That included Senators Cruz, my Senator Rubio, and Lindsey Graham. Do you think those gentlemen have a voice in the future of a resurgent GOP, or is this the Trump party impertuity? No, no, I think they do, and I think Rubio in particular— uh, you heard his tone today. If you were if uh, if you were able to listen to the first hour, he said, "Listen, don't blame everything on Trump. That's why he came to power. Uh, that's what he did when he was here. The problems were here before him. They'll be here after him. Look at all the good stuff he did, and let's move on from impeachment." Lindsey Graham, I think, if there's a Republican president, would be a great Secretary of State. I don't see him running for president again, uh, but Ted Cruz will. And no doubt about it, I give a lot of credit to people who can fight the good fight and hug it out at the end. They fought hard. And in the end, Ted Cruz said, you won Donald Trump. I'm with you. Took him a while. Marco Rubio said the same thing. And that's what I think people got to do in life. When you lose, fight as hard as you can and then hug it out. Just like the end of a boxing match. Didn't happen with President Trump today. I wish it did. It's just not the way he's made. But I hope we don't emulate that. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Hi, everyone. Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade. This is Historic Day. Thanks so much for being here. I'm truly honored. We're going to have uh, Brad Blakeman and John Roberts is standing by to join us. He's going. He was working the White House. He's got a great gig now. He's on America Reports preparing for that show. He's going to bring us up close and personal to the White House, to the Capitol building, as we are 55 minutes away from uh, it becomes official. Joy, uh, Joe Biden will take the oath and become the 46th president of the United States. I just saw a video of President Trump landing in Mar-a-Lago in Florida. He is uh, out, but is technically still president for the rest of this hour. He did not stay for the first time in 152 years, not there for the transfer of power. So we'll get to that. But first, before we get to John, big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If Washington doesn't provide the New York State... With our fair share of funding, we're going to pursue litigation because I cannot in good faith represent the people of this state and know that they are being harmed. Right. Now he's worried about them being harmed as you shut down the whole state for about a year. $15 billion or I'll sue. Governor Cuomo, nice vi- nice, uh, nice greeting to Joe Biden. Number two. Biden will sign executive orders related to climate change and immigration. And in the first 100 days, plans to push Congress to shorten the pathway to citizenship for 11 million illegal immigrants to eight years from 13. Uh, that is uh, Peter Ducey talking about the Biden agenda. Immigration plans. It's a non-starter, according to Marco Rubio, as caravans make their way to the border where there's actually a surge in the coronavirus. Great combination. Number one. At noon on Wednesday... I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. The belief that a nation must serve its citizens will not dwindle, but instead only grow stronger by the day. You say goodbye, I say hello. The president says goodbye. Joe Biden about to say hello as all the presidents outside Jimmy Carter, the living president, is able to make their way to the Capitol building uh, despite the scaled-down event. About 2,000 people, 200 VIPs. Uh, and we have about 17 anti-Trump executive orders waiting to be signed by the future president. That is 78-year-old Joe Biden. So, John, you were there every step of the way. The buildup, the inauguration, and the four years of Donald Trump. Ari Fleischer just said on television, I'm glad he didn't show up. It's true to his brand. He's always been an outsider. It would have been fake had he done that. Do you feel the same way? I think it would have been fake uh, had he done that. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons, Brian, why he left the White House so early this morning and uh, landed in Palm Beach while he was still officially president is because he didn't want to ask Joe, the incoming Biden administration for permission to use the 747 to go home. Uh, typically, what happens is when the outgoing president sticks through the inauguration, as a courtesy, the incoming administration allows them to use the 747, which is designated as either Special Air Mission 29,000 or 28,000, depending on which plane they use. That's the tail number that's on the aircraft. But President Trump didn't want to have to ask Joe Biden to use the plane. So he ducked out of D.C. early, knowing that he wasn't going to be inauguration, so he could still fly one more time aboard Air Force One. And, and then Joe Biden yesterday, not asking the president to send a government aircraft, which would have been probably one of the 757s, instead chartering his own 737 to bring him and his family from Wilmington to Washington. Whereas Vice President Mike Pence offered Kamala Harris and her entourage the use of one of the government uh, 757s. So, I mean, right up until the end, it's, it's like 
there's, you know, one side's not going to acknowledge the other. There's going to be no congratulations. It, it, there's going to be a peaceful transition of power, but it certainly isn't cordial. I mean, if the fact that the president did wish them well is a, is a, is a long way away from where he was just a, a couple of weeks ago. And I talked to a number of people who had said, and these are people inside the administration, that if the president for the last four years had spoken the way he spoke today, and the way he spoke in that video that he released yesterday, and the way he spoke in the video he released last Friday, and if he had had his Twitter feed suspended on day one, he likely would have, or ceased to use Twitter, he likely would have won another four years. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's very interesting because he says the opposite. Without the Twitter, I don't become president. I'm not successful as president. But it was so obvious some of those tweets hurt him. John Roberts with us, yeah. America Reports. It starts from 1, finish up at 3 in this historic day. We're watching the presidents take uh, uh, take their seats. It's a very cold day, it seems. The Marine Band is playing. They're all, uh, they're all COVID-19 uh, wary. They're separated. So, John, we did get some news. Something is traditional. Uh, by the way, the, the future vice president of the United States and the second gentleman, Doug, are making their way out and out of the Capitol steps. And huge applause. John, what do you think was in that note that Donald Trump did one thing with tradition? He left a note for Joe Biden. Any sense? Uh, we do not have any sense of what the president wrote. Uh, the vice president also left one uh, for Kamala Harris as well uh, on, on the desk there in the vice presidential office in the West Wing. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of speculation as to what President Trump might have written in the note. But I would imagine, based on what we've heard from him in the past 24 hours, uh, I'm, I'm sure that he probably wished Biden well. He may have had some other things to say about, you know, we left the country in good shape for you. I, I mean, Brian, I'm just, I'm totally speculating. But based on what I know of the president from knowing him before he became president and covering him for the last four years, there was probably a note of good luck for the future. I don't know if he would have said congratulations or not. Uh, and, and basically, we something along the lines of reflecting the work that President Trump did over the last four years to set the stage for potential success in a Biden administration in much the same way he articulated that before he departed Joint Base Andrews. John Roberts with us. John, you know, the, the theme of... Joe Biden's speech is America United. Certainly could use that. America has never been more divided. When is the last time that you witnessed, was there a piece of legislation or a period of time when we did work together as a country that you witnessed? We saw Democrats and Republicans negotiating instead of just waiting for the next election. Well, it was a long, long time ago. You know, I'm, I might have missed something between. Well, there was the edge. I remember the education bill. Uh, in the Bush administration that was negotiated with Senator Edward Kennedy. And, and that's the last time that I can remember Democrats and Republicans really working together. Now, there may have been occasions uh, after that uh, that, I, that I've missed, but that's the last time that I really remember them working together. And it was, you know, an, an extraordinary occasion as well. You know, the 1990s, even though uh, Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, and Bill Clinton was the president. There was uh, an attempt to create, you know, at least some sort of spirit of cooperation. Uh, but that has now gone by the wayside because politics in Washington is a zero-sum game. And now there is a, a real question as to whether or not a lot of Democrats are going to try to punish Republicans in the next two years, whether vindictive politics 
will will be the order of the day. I certainly hope not because, you know, the way that things have gone for the last 60 days, we could use some unity. Uh, I think there are obviously millions of Americans who will never accept Joe Biden as president in much the same way that there were millions of Americans who never accepted President Trump as, as president. But if there was some way to turn down the temperature here, uh, it would be a beneficial thing to do. One of the open questions, though, and I, I tweeted about this, as President Trump flies away aboard Air Force One, will this be the last time uh, that uh, he ever flies on, on that aircraft as president? You know, it's an open question. If he's not convicted in the Senate, uh, Senate trial, Brian, he could come back again in 2024. Would he win? People would probably say at this moment, no. But there's a lot of mileage between now and uh, November 2024, and a lot of things can happen. So, John, now that you're, you can do some strategizing, since we're not stuck, you're not stuck on the White House lawn, uh, <laughs> now you've got to do that on America Reports, just a strategy. It's all about leverage. So Mitch McConnell meets yesterday with Chuck Schumer, at which time it's reported that he said, whatever you do, don't get rid of the filibuster, at which right. time I'm sure Schumer wants to go ahead with different policies, and he wants the 60-vote threshold. So do you think if one has leverage on the other, uh, if you want this, so I want that, how does that play into all this? Well, you know, there was last time that there was a 50-50 split in the Senate, uh, the two leaders got together and they forged a power-sharing agreement to try to get something done. Yesterday, Schumer and McConnell met. There was uh, no agreement on, on power-sharing, and, and the filibuster was at the center of it all. Mitch McConnell clearly wants to hang on to it because if you have a simple majority vote, you get rid of the filibuster and have a simple majority vote, that means that the Democrats can implement their agenda to a much easier degree than if there was a filibuster. So I, I don't know which which way it will work out. Certainly there is, you know, the filibuster rule has gone by the wayside for things like judges. Uh, it's, it's not in place for reconciliation bills. Uh, which typically are of uh, the uh, the fiscal and financial uh, 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 kind. Uh, but to get rid of the filibuster altogether would just allow one party holding all three seats in the federal government to run roughshod over the other uh, with really no check and balance. And that's I'm not sure that that's the best thing for the country. It'll change the country forever. We're watching Joe Biden and Jill Biden make their way closer and closer to going outside to the Capitol building where the applause will be as loud as it can be with the separation and the 200 VIPs and the 2,000 people. And, uh, John, uh, who do you have coming up on your show? Are you just riding the live stuff? Uh, we're going to be riding uh, some live stuff, but we do have a lot of guests uh, booked as well. And I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm sort of laughing, Brian, because— uh, it's in the 40s here in Washington, and yet there's a little bit of snow coming down here. <laughs> I mean, it's colder than I expected it was going to be, but it's certainly nowhere near what it was in 2008 with, when, with the wind chill, it was slightly below zero. But, but we've got the, the former acting DHS secretary, Chad Wolf, uh, coming up, uh, Marie Harf and Brad Blakeman uh, in a terrific political panel, uh, Carl Rove, Bill McGurn. Uh, Cindy, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar will be joining us as well to talk about what the tone is going to be among Democrats uh, going forward. So we're, we're obviously going to be in live coverage 
as well. But we do have a number of good guests lined up to add some context and perspective to everything that we're seeing unfold here on the screen. All right, John Roberts, love the show. Great start this week and exciting times you, with you big too, news. You too, Brian. You, you've, been, you've been doing a great job, too. Oh, thank you. I uh, was able to get that stint at night for this week uh, at 7 p.m. Yeah. Uh, and it's a time in which John Roberts is up because usually he's sleeping through the morning show. Uh, and exactly. up for the radio show. John, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, so we watched the, the vice president. He's going to be the former vice president is going to be president in about 30 minutes. He is making his way to the doors. The doors are now open. In comes uh, onto the steps come uh, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, the, 40, the soon to be 46th president of the United States and the next first lady of the United States. Currently, uh, Donald Trump is at Mar-a-Lago and still technically the 45th president uh, for at least another 40 minutes. So we'll continue to ride this scene as we see it uh, close up on Kamala Harris as she claps uh, for her boss. And we also saw a shot of Hunter Biden. Very interesting to see if his attorney general will pursue anything that the FBI concludes from their investigation of his son. Uh, And just a fist bump to Barack Obama. He's got to be a lot happier this year than he was four years ago. You got to think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show back with this historic scene in just a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Amy Klobuchar just spoke and kind of introduced the whole event. Everybody's in their seat, the inaugural at the Capitol building where the president uh, will soon be, within probably a half hour, the second Catholic president in our history and the oldest ever at 78 years old. President Trump gave a speech this morning, was a very good one, said goodbye on Marine One, and then one minute made it official at Andrews Air Force Base. And now we are uh, seeing a series of speeches as we look at Bush 43, the 44th president, President Obama. Then we have Bill Clinton is also there, along with Hillary Clinton, has attended. Mike Pence, the vice president of uh, the United States for another half hour, has shown nothing but class the, the entire way. Currently, Senator Roy Blunt is speaking. He is uh, saying some kind words about the event as well as the vice president. It's an odd combination right now because between wearing the mask, which you should, especially at 78 years old, and Joe Biden not showing traditional emotion anyway, I have no idea what he's thinking. And usually you could see those moments. You know, if you, if you watch a lot of sports, you win a championship, you say to yourself, okay, the Patriots win a championship, they're used to it the first time ever. They're not used to it. Uh, it's a rookie. They're, they aren't used to it. And, but in, in this, I also remind me of sports, too. you got winners and losers all in the same place, but only one is going to walk out with a trophy, and that's the presidency. But with the mask, I can't really tell everyone's feeling, but it is indeed uh, historic. Adam, you're on WABC in Queens. Hey, Adam. Hey, Brian. It's been a, been a while. I haven't called in because it's been kind of somber, right? But uh, in 2001, the whole country was pulling for the Yankees, it felt like, after September 11th. A month and a half later, they're battling two of the great pitchers, Schilling and uh, Randy Johnson. In the bottom of the ninth, Rivera's on the mound. Bases are loaded. You figure the bloop single's not going to happen, but it did. And Louis Gonzalez drove in a winning run, and the Yankees lost what would have been their fourth consecutive championship. And, then, man, that hurt. That hurt that year as a fan, right? And uh, as a kid, I was getting days off school thanks to Giuliani. But uh, it happened. And then uh, you coalesce around your 
your first your friends and family and then your community and then you just move forward right and that's the only thing we can do and uh not to say that uh it didn't uh, hurt because it did yeah and, uh, and the thing is adam i think in life uh you know you're a four sports fan and for those players that lost uh mariana rivera walked right off and showed to me one of the greatest moments is when he blew that series to the Red Sox. Afterwards, he took full responsibility for it, have good days and bad days, and he would go to the microphones afterwards. Now, it's just not Donald Trump's DNA. He's going to leave before. He's not going to talk to the vice president. He's not going to have a a tour of the White House. That's just not the way he is. If he got his eight years, he would have done it. But to me— I think there is is how you lose is important. How you act, how you lose is important as how you act when you win. I've had way too much practice in losing, so it doesn't shock me when if something doesn't break my way. I'm kind of used to it. For Donald Trump, he's used to making his way forward. That deal fell apart. I'm going to move forward to a bigger deal, and people are going to forget it. This is very decisive. It makes it very hard for him. Yeah, I, I uh, just feel for the president because he did so many great things on his uh, time here for us. And just wanted to thank Mr. President and tell him, you know, there is uh, 74 million people who love you, sir. Right. And you did an outstanding job. The uh, Great American Outdoors Act is for me a personal uh, great, you know, the guy uh, put billions of dollars into our national parks that we can all enjoy as Americans. And thank you, Mr. President. And you we did covered, a great job. Go get him, Adam. Thank you. You're a great, uh, uh, always a great caller. And I covered a lot of that because on my series, What Made America Great, we go to a lot of national parks, preserves, a lot of historic uh, places, and they did pour a lot of money in because they were, it's an easy thing to cut money out when you have to cut the budget. So we're watching now as a series of speakers have gone up to a Capitol building, usually populated, overrun with people, but it's not. It's overrun with security, and it's uh, underwhelming in terms of a crowd. And what they did is very similar to sports. They cover a lot of the empty areas with big flags. They usually do it with with big tarps, uh, and we're hearing now some of the words. What we're going to see is a little bit of the rundown today. Uh, Lady Gaga will actually sing the national anthem, no doubt about it. She is a huge Biden supporter. Remember seeing her out in the field. Uh, poetry reading by Amanda Gorman. A musical performance by Jennifer Lopez, which explains why A-Rod is there. And then the benediction by Reverend Silverstein Beeman. And then it's time to swear in the President of the United States. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show, back with Brad Blakeman and more. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. At noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. The belief that a nation must serve its citizens will not dwindle, but instead only grow stronger by the day. And that is a little of the president's remarks on Andrews Air Force Base. He gave a tape remark yesterday. These great speeches, both of them very similar. And he's now landed in Mar-a-Lago. He's going to be president for 25 more minutes. We're going to see the the Vice President uh, Kamala Harris sworn in in about 10 minutes, join me now. Brad Blakeman been through this before, GOP strategist, a member of George W. Bush's senior staff, having served in 2001 to 2004 as deputy assistant. He's also a senior advisor to George W. Bush uh, presidential election and was in charge of President Bush's 2001 inaugural schedule and managing director of Bush uh, 41's inaugural uh, in 1989. So 
Uh, the swearing in is going to happen in a matter of moments. But, Brad, so far, and Lady Gaga in her very unique outfit, and as I think I, I speak for all of America, thank goodness it's not that meat dress, but she's wearing an outfit <laughs> with an eagle. The, it's actually the size of an actual eagle on her dress. I'm not sure if you pin that on or Velcro it on. Uh, Brad, am I accurately describing Lady Gaga? Uh, actually, Brian, I actually think it's a seagull. I don't think it's it's, oh, it's a, a dove or a seagull. I, I would have preferred. Not, I don't know what it is. It's a dove. You think it's a dove? Uh, it Eric looks like a dove with 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 uh, something in its beak, maybe a small animal. I don't know. So here is Lady Gaga, Brad, and we'll get to you in a second. Scene of the national anthem. Stripes and bright stars throw the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And that was extremely well done. She's extremely talented. Uh, Brad, so far, describe for people what's different about this that really stood out for you besides the crowds, the pandemic, and things to that nature. Well, I, I think the pomp and circumstance is, is missing. This is more uh, functional or administrative than so, uh, you know, a celebration. And there are more troops out on the mall than uh, there are citizens. Uh, and that's what the shame is. You know, one of the biggest jobs we had in planning an inaugural was facilitating crowds and, and uh, as getting as many people in as possible, not preventing people from coming or seeing. I'm, I'm in Virginia, just outside of Washington, and um, uh, I was in uh, Roslyn, Virginia, which is just on the other side of the Potomac from Washington. I've never seen so many police boats in the Potomac, so many police manning bridges. The, this is like martial law um, in, in our country, and, and uh, this is, in my opinion, totally unavoidable. Um, uh, the, this has to be done at this time, but we should have found a way to, to, to get the American people a little closer yeah. to a peaceful They're transfer of government than what we're seeing. How do you feel? I mean, I watched Ori Fleischer an hour ago, and he said it's, it's, he likes the fact the president didn't uh, stick around. It would have been totally fake had he done that. He never— Walked the vice president through. He did leave a note for him. Do you think it's – I think that the Bidens were happy. The Trumps weren't there. The Trumps never intended to be there, reportedly. Do you think that's for the best? 
Yes, I think the circumstances uh, dictated that it just would have been too forced to have uh, Trump on that stage at this time. Um, but I'm happy to see that uh, Vice President Pence and his wife are there. And I think they're tr- being treated with great respect and I think was the right thing to do. What about seeing Bush 43 there, President Obama there? There was great tension between them. You see the Clintons there. Well, how would you decri- describe, by the way, Amy Klobuchar speaking, she's pretty much the MC of the of the events. I think the vice president's going to be sworn in shortly. Uh, what's the relationship between the Obamas and Bushes now? Well, I think, you know, uh, sometimes you have to beat swords into plowshares. And uh, the presidential club is, is very um, unique mm-hmm. and, and closed. Uh, and you, you sometimes and uh, there, there's yeah. Yeah. I just want to stop because it looks like uh, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor is swearing Kamala in vice president. Kamala Harris. Solemnly swear. Kamala Davy Harris. Solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. That I will well and faithfully discharge. That I will well and faithfully discharge. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. The duties of the office upon which I am about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. And history's been made, Brad, first woman, and obviously African-American and Indian uh, ethnic background. Big hug from her husband, and it's official. Next up, the president. Your thoughts? You know, this is this is a historic moment, um, just like when uh, Barack Obama was sworn in. I was on the uh, mall. I wanted to see it. I wanted to witness it. I wanted to be part of history. And even though he wasn't my choice, he was my president. And I think we have to give every benefit of the doubt that uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris will do right by us and that they'll be true to their words, that they'll unite Americans, uh, regardless of their political persuasion. So, you know, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's get behind uh, these folks and, and wish mm-hmm. them well. What do you uh, think Mike, more that unites us than divides us? What do you think the uh, Vice President uh, Pence is thinking? He's probably thinking, uh, what a relief. Wow. What, what a relief. <laughs> we we could have won, maybe. Uh, Brad, yeah. hold that thought. We're going to take, should we take a time out now, Eric, so we don't miss the presidential swearing in? Brad's going to stay with us. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show on the inauguration of the 46th President of the United States as JLo makes her way uh, to the microphones. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brad Blakeman with me now to witness these events. Uh, John Roberts, the Chief Justice, is about to swear in the 46th President of the United States, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden, as he helps Jill Biden up the stairs, and they all get into their place. His family goes right behind him. Kamala Harris is there with her husband, and uh, Justice Roberts is about to step up in the middle. Also, you see Hunter Biden there. He'll be front and center over the next few months for sure. So let's listen to Let's listen to I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. 
that I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. You. And there you go, uh, Brad. We have a chance to see him. Gets a kiss from his wife. He takes his mask off, and a big smile on his face. Yeah, I mean, this is this is another historic moment in America. We hear hail to the chief for the first time. There'll be a 21-gun salute. Then he'll deliver his inaugural address. And I don't know whether they're going to do a, a, a congressional luncheon or not. That's typically one of the uh, first events the president will do afterwards. That might have been scrapped for COVID. But um, one thing is for sure, the traditional inaugural schedule of balls and parties and uh, open event festivities for the public, that's all gone. Uh, I think the first act now of the president when he leaves the Capitol will go to the West Wing to the Oval Office, and that's where, for the first time, he will exercise his powers, President, and really turn back the clock on the Trump administration by voiding executive orders. Uh, and see what he can do there. The rest he's going to have to work his way through Congress and see if he can get those 60 votes. If he gets too frustrated as he pushes caucus to get rid of uh, the filibuster. So now it's time for Joe Biden to make his speech. A lot of times after this, you think about the long campaign, how long it took. Not this time. Kamala Harris had a brief campaign. She was terrible, flamed out before the first primary. Joe Biden was awful. It wasn't for James Clyburn in South Carolina saying we don't want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee and picked him and got him the African-American vote. And everyone else just dropped by the wayside. This wouldn't have happened. Am I am I being too harsh? No, you're you're spot on. That is exactly what happened. Um, and, and we have to be, you know, we, we have to have some dose of reality as to how we got here. Um, the country is deeply divided, and Joe Biden uh, ran on being a uniter. Uh, now it's past words. Uh, now it's policies. Can he unite this country? Can he be a fair dealer? Can he keep the most progressives at bay? Um, I think he's blessed by having such close majorities in the House and the Senate because it kind of puts a damper on their more radical agenda. I think the Republicans would have felt a lot better had they won one of those two seats. It would have felt like they weren't totally out of power. Uh, now we understand the power-sharing agreement's been virtually going to be like Tom Daschle and Trent Lott when it was 50-50 the last time, but you had a Republican president there. So this is a little bit, this is a little bit different, and I'm not sure Schumer has the relationship with McConnell that Daschle and Lott had back then that would eventually become... Um, a, a different Speaker of the House, Denny Hastert. Now, Amy Klobuchar has done a real good job throughout the day. Uh, we'll have a chance to interview the, excuse me, introduce the President of the United States, Joe Biden, with his first speech, and it'll be America United. I wish I, I am optimistic that he'll try to make a deal, but so far those 17 executive orders, uh, 17 executive orders, most of which were blowing up the Trump team, uh, show he's maybe not going to do it policy-wise. Joe Biden is now two steps away from making his speech. He is now right behind the microphone. He accepts the applause, hands on the podium, shots of the vice president, his supporters and Republicans clapping, too. And here it is, uh, a little of Joe Biden's speech. Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, Leader McConnell, Vice President Pence, my uh, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans, this is America's day. This is democracy's day. 
a day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. The people, the will of the people, has been heard, and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again that democracy is precious, democracy is fragile. And at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. So now, on this hallowed ground where just a few days ago violence sought to shake the Capitol's very foundation, we come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. As we look ahead in our uniquely American way, restless, bold, optimistic, and set our sights on the nation we know we can be and we must be. I thank my predecessors of both parties for their presence here today. I thank them from the bottom of my heart. And I know and I know the resilience of our Constitution and the strength, the strength of our nation, as does President Carter, who I spoke with last night, who cannot be with us today, but whom we salute for his lifetime and service. I've just taken the sacred oath each of those patriots have taken. So, the oath so that is uh, Joe Biden's speech, uh, well delivered in the beginning. He says his pre- thanks his predecessors who were here today. That's a shot at Trump. Uh, Jimmy Carter, I talked to him last night. So he thanks, and I'm sure he'll go through that, but he acknowledged Brad Blakeman. You've been through this before with Bush 41, Bush 43, and I know that uh, uh, Donald Trump and you had uh, many conversations that he acknowledged that they're, um, that, you know, Vice President Pence is there representing the previous administration. I know he appreciates Pence. They know each other. Yeah, there's no doubt that, that uh, they have a relationship uh, that precedes Trump. And a lot of the folks that now President Biden is going to have to deal with, he has a long relationship with. Uh, He's no um, stranger to the legislative branch, and that's going to be a huge help. Uh, He also is one, I think, who understands the art of the deal um, and and making deals uh, on the Hill. He's had great experience in doing that in the past, and now he's going to be asked to do it more than ever. Uh, He's going to have to keep the most progressives at bay. And, and he's going to have to move his agenda forward as much as he can. Um, but today's speech is going to be more um, lofty. Uh, I would look to the nuts and bolts of what Biden actually wants to do as president in a few weeks when he addresses a joint session of Congress. Uh, that is not a State of the Union because he's not been in office for a year. So it's, it's really a joint meeting of Congress where he lays out in great detail what he hopes to accomplish this year. We're already seeing uh, a big he's a big emphasis on naming his people by the color of their skin and their gender and their sexual orientation. I found uh, I was I'm not surprised by that. Were you taken aback by that where he was talking less about their qualities and more about their characteristics? 
I wasn't surprised by it, but I was taken back because that's not what our country is all about. You get the best and the brightest no matter who they are. And if you're true to uh, Dr. King's words, you want to be judged on the content of your character, not the color of your skin. You would hope. Uh, So we'll see. Do you see this impeachment going forward? Mitch McConnell's statement yesterday saying that the president basically was culpable. What do you think? I hope not. I think that uh, I don't know either whether as a lawyer, whether it's even constitutional. Once uh, a president has left office, whether uh, he's subject to a trial, um, the impeachment becomes uh, part of history. But I don't think uh, constitutionally you can proceed with a trial when the president is no longer president. And if you were to do it, it's purely vindictive to prevent him from running again. Quick answer. The word is the Trump team is talking about forming their own party, the Patriot Party. Do you see that happening? Well, if they do, I think it's it's a fool's errand because uh, we're a two-party country. Gotcha. Probably will be for some time. Brad Blakeman, always great. Thanks so much on this historic inaugural day. I'll see everybody tonight at 7 o'clock on the Fox News Channel. Among our guests, Dave Portnoy on the streets, helping out small business owners who have been destroyed by these Democratic governments. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.